we're on the road to the resurrection. Here we go. Can you believe it? By the way, I, somebody said, wow, you're in a suit. Because I haven't worn a tie in a long time. I said, I know I backslid today. Now, backsliding is not always bad because you can backslide back into a habit that was a pretty good habit. I used to do this every week. And then trends started going the other way. But I thought, I don't care about trends. I'm going to wear a tie today. And so I backslid and I feel, you know, it's just, I'm going to, the only reason I said it, because some of you are looking at me like, is there something official going on today? And uh, yeah, we're meeting Jesus in the house of God. It's official. Yeah. Amen. I want to begin a series, a three-week series today, The Road to the Resurrection. The Road to the Resurrection. None of us would be here without it. None of us would be here without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We would not be in this house. God only knows where we would be. But there was a road, a pathway Jesus took towards the resurrection from the dead. He had to go by way of the cross. He had to. Now, he went into Gethsemane, was on his face in Gethsemane, sweated, as it were, great drops of blood in Gethsemane, and said, Lord, if there's any way I can circumvent this cross and still redeem man, show me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And, of course, the Lord's will was the cross. He could not circumvent that or we wouldn't be saved. So I'm going to talk to you today about the power of the blood. And I'm going to go all the way back to Exodus 12, and let me just read, starting at verse 3, one of the greatest examples of the power of the blood and why Jesus had to die, why he had to die on that cross of shame and pain. Uh, Moses is told by God, speak to the congregation of Israel, saying, on the 10th of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father. A lamb per household. Your lamb shall be without blemish. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night. And I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. Now look why God did it. And against all the gods of Egypt, the false gods, the idols they were worshiping that led them into such terrible iniquity. I will execute judgment, says God. I am the Lord. Verse 13, now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I want us to all read this together, can we? And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Man. All right. And the plague, look, look what the blood does. The plague will not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Amen. Father, we thank you for the power of the blood. Help us to realize today more than maybe in a while, why Jesus had to go to the cross. And it could not be circumvented. He had to go there. Show us why. In Jesus' name. 
Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, there's power in the blood. Amen. There's power in the blood. Now, as we approach Easter, I want to lay the groundwork uh, for what Resurrection Sunday is all about. And so I want to begin, as I've already stated, on, on why Jesus had to die on a cross of shame and pain. Why did he have to go there? I, I've read atheist writings online just to see what they're saying. I've read them and they go, why would a God of love put his own son on a cross of torture and shame and pain and bleeding and all that stuff? Why would, why would a God of love do that? Saying that a true God would not do that. But I, I'm going to show you otherwise today. We find the answer to why Jesus had to go to the cross all the way back in Egypt where we just read the children of Israel had languished in slavery for hundreds of years. They, they were in Egypt for a total of 400 years, four centuries, longer than America, much longer than America has been here. They languished in Egypt for four centuries. Now, all of it was not in slavery. When they were there under Joseph and his family and their descendants, uh, uh, the Pharaoh was still good to the, the Israeli people. But as time went on, they began to scare the new Pharaoh because there were so many of them. He said, they're going to take over. So he began to subject them to slavery, and it became bitter. And they were in bitter slavery for a couple of centuries at least. And they cried out to God for deliverance. And finally, God raised up Moses, spoke to him out of the burning bush. You know the story. And called a murderer, Moses, to deliver the people. Can I shock you with something today? Did you know that three murderers wrote at least half or more of the Bible? Yeah, Moses was a murderer. Amen. David was a murderer. And he wrote most of the Psalms. Paul was a murderer of Christians. And he wrote most of the New Testament. So, amen for redemption. Amen. Now, when Moses went in, God sent ten plagues on the Egyptians and on their idols. Um, to, to cause Pharaoh to finally let them go. And it is the last plague that introduces in vivid technicolor the power of the blood of a slain lamb. He promises people then what he promises to us now, these words, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. I'm bringing judgment, but you, my people, when I see the blood on the doorposts of your house representing the heart when I see the blood on the, the doorposts of your house, I will pass over, and you will avoid judgment. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. You won't face judgment. Amen. So again, there's power in the blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Uh, there's power in the blood. Now, Egypt in the Bible is always an illustration of our spiritual condition without God. And it also illustrates the dark, gar uh, godless world that we live in. Egypt is a picture of the world and the bondage that the world lives in without Christ. That's what Egypt represents. Egypt is a type and shadow of, of a spiritual reality that everybody in the world is in bondage and slavery to sin until a redeemer comes. Amen. 
Egypt was a place of bondage, desperation, slavery, despair, hopelessness. And they were all ruled by a very cruel taskmaster called the Pharaoh. Likewise, the Bible says that humanity, you and me, this is the way we were, not the way we are, but it's the way the world is right now out there. The Bible says that humanity without God is also in bondage to sin, enslaved to the flesh, hopeless, and often in despair with no real answers to life or living or meaning or anything. And all the while, they're under a, the harsh rule of Satan, a type of spiritual Pharaoh. <clears throat> Amen. And the lambs that were slain in all the Old Testament offerings, Day of Atonement and so on and so forth, uh, pointed to the day, they were all about, they were types and shadows of the day when the ultimate Lamb of God would spill his blood for you and me. The Old Testament was the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. All that went on in the Old Testament was types and shadows and signposts pointing down the tunnel of time to the day that Jesus would die on the cross for your sins and mine. Yeah. This is why when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now, all the people that were there listening to him knew exactly what he meant when he said the Lamb of God because they were so familiar with lambs being slain to cover their sins. And now John says, No, there's about to be a once-for-all sacrifice, and there he is. Behold, the Lamb of God. He's going to take away the sins of the world. And they pointed to Jesus, the ultimate Lamb. The Bible records the awful moment when God's final judgment fell upon Egypt. Let me just read it to you. It's very somber. And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt. For there was not a house where there was not one dead. But while Egypt wept, God's people rested safely in their homes, untouched by it all, protected by the blood. Folks, this is pointing us to something. This is there for a reason. There's a reason to this day Passover is celebrated. Not by Christians per se, but it's why it still lives with us today. Because the message is, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. You will not be judged. You will not experience the wrath of God. You will not go into a Christless, godless eternity. When I see the blood, it's going to set you free. When I see the blood, I'm going to pass over you. Amen? Egypt was about to experience the fiercest of the ten judgments from God dispensed under Moses. And I want to draw a parallel right now to you and me today. Let me just bring this home. Why does that story matter to us today? All right, number one, judgment was fast approaching Egypt. They were about to face, of all the ten plagues, the worst one of all. Judgment was, was rushing towards them. Now, I'd be a liar if I didn't stand up here today and tell you that likewise... Our world today is on the verge of judgment. And I believe personally that much of the world is already under judgment. Read Romans 1. 
I believe that much of our world is already under judgment. Now, I don't know it's not popular to stand in a pulpit these days and talk about things like this, but every pulpit ought to be talking about things like this. Seriously, we got to get back to what the Word of God says. Uh, we didn't get saved to be in a bless me club, though God does bless. But we didn't get saved to be in a bless me club and get a big house. We got saved to be redeemed from hell and carried to heaven. And we got saved, we got saved to be contagious with the message of Jesus Christ and to advance the kingdom of God. That's what we got saved for. So we got to get down to reality. We live in a world that is primarily, wholeheartedly, almost fully rejected God, rejected Christ and is living in sin, flaunting their sin in the face of God. And there is no way that a culture, a person, a culture, or a world can do that without eventually experiencing the judgment of God. Let me just read to you a few verses on this. Romans 14, verse 12. So then, each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Each of us. We're going to give an account of ourselves to God. How we live, what we did with our gifting, with our time, with our life, with the life that God gave us. We're going to give an account to God. He's going to say, what did you do with the, the, the gift I gave you, the, the, the um, talent that I gave you, the, the blessings that I gave you? What did you do with them? And, 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 and he'll ask the most important question of all, what did you do with Jesus? What did you do with my son? Did you accept him? Did you reject him? Because each of us shall give an account of himself to God. We will all face God. I will, you will. Now, we're not going to face him if you're a believer at the great white throne judgment where only sinners are judged. We're not going to face him there. But we're still going to go before Christ. 1 Corinthians 3 says at the, the bema, what's called the bema, the judgment seat of Christ, and our works will be judged. How we lived our lives out on this planet will be judged. And our works will turn out to be either gold, silver, and precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble. We won't be judged for sin, but we'll get rewards or not at the judgment seat of Christ. Because all of us are going to give an account of himself to God. Mama won't be there. Daddy won't be there. Grandpa won't be there. The preacher won't be there. You'll be there. I'll be there. Giving an account of my life. You're not coming back as a cow. You're not coming back as a cricket. You're not coming back as a, a dog. You're not coming back as a cat. You're not coming back as some other thing. You're not getting many different chances at life. You get one. Hebrews 9, 27, just as is it appointed for all men once to die. How many times? Once. And after that, the certain judgment. That's what it said, right? Hebrews 9, 27. After that, the certain judgment. You will die once. I will die once. L listen to me, all of you watching online, you will die once. And listening by radio and across social media, you're going to die once. And then you're going to meet God and you're going to give an account for what you did with your life. The gift of your life. The grace God gave you. The blessing God gave you. Uh, the many times he poured out mercy on you, all the chances you had to be rich toward God, you're going to give an account of your life. The Bible says in Acts 17, 31, he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. Can I read that again? He has appointed a day 
on which he will judge the world in righteousness by who? The man, capital M, Jesus, whom he has ordained. Who will people face? They'll face the Lion of Judah, who came as the Lamb of God. But at judgment, he'll be the Lion of Judah, and we will face him. So the Bible warns again and again that judgment is coming upon the human race for sin and rebellion against God. And it's coming on our, on our planet right now. And it will come in its fullness when Jesus returns to judge the world. Now let me ask you a question. Are you ready for that day? Are you ready for that day? You, you may have a great 401k retirement plan in place. But you're going to die. You may have a nice, comfortable home, but you're going to die. You may have great friends. You're going to die, and they're going to die. You say, well, Pastor, you're really lifting me up here today. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. I, I want to be straightforward because this is the way people used to preach before everything got diluted and polluted and watered down and, and modified and edited. I'm, I'm not going to edit anything. I want you to know the truth. Because you're going to meet your maker and give an account of your life. So are you ready to meet God? Am I ready to meet God? Are you out there ready to meet God? That's the most important decision you will ever make. It's not where you're going to go to school, who you're going to marry, where you're going to work, where you're going to live, how much you're going to debt for a house. That's not the most important decision. No. The number one decision of life is what you do with Jesus or not. Now the, the powerful and hopeful message here is that because of the blood, the people of Israel did not come under judgment, but they were spared. That's the powerful, hopeful message here, that there is an exit door. There is a way out. There is a way to escape the judgment of God. Yes. Now, before I really look at what that is, I want to also note what didn't play a part in saving Israel on that dark night. Because on that night when the judgment of God fell on Egypt and all the firstborn were killed, taken out in judgment, and, and they kicked Israel out and they left immediately, they were delivered a million strong. When all of that went down and they went out banging tambourines and singing songs and delivered finally, free at last, free at last, thank God, free at last, all right, they were not saved because of pedigree or ancestry. They weren't saved because they were Abraham's descendants. They weren't saved because they were special descendants of Abraham. So they weren't saved by ancestry or pedigree. They weren't saved because they were for some reason God's favorites because they were connected to Abraham. They, they, they weren't saved because they had some kind of an inside track on God's mercy by virtue of their lineage. That's not what saved them. Being Jewish is not what saved them. Because there were a lot of people that were not Jewish that were included in that exodus. Nor were they saved from judgment by any personal good deeds of their own. Listen carefully to me. They couldn't claim salvation by good deeds. We hear no mention from God in their deliverance from how good they'd been. You've you been so good in slavery and so good in Egypt, such incredible citizens, I'm setting you free. No, that wasn't it. God did not brag on them for how they kept the law. 
or how they've been upstanding religious people. None of their good deeds got them out of Egypt. And none of your good deeds or mine will get me into heaven and get me out of hell. Listen carefully to me. Okay? No salvation by ancestry. No salvation by good deeds. And we also know that they weren't saved from judgment because they were close to Moses. So they couldn't claim salvation by association. All right? No salvation by ancestry. No salvation by good deeds. And no salvation by association. God didn't say to them, because you are so thick with Moses, I'm letting you out. That's not what he said. Can I just pop a few bubbles here today? There is no salvation by association. Just because your mama's saved, just because your daddy's saved, just because your grandmother was a praying grandmother, just because your granddaddy was a preacher, does not mean that somehow by association you are saved. No, you can be raised in a preacher's house and be lost as a goose in a hailstorm. You are not saved by association. Doesn't matter how close you are to somebody who really knows the Lord. No, you've got to come to know the Lord yourself. You've got to be born again. You've got to go to the cross. You've got to call out in his name. You've got to make the move and say, Jesus, forgive me. I cannot get in on somebody else's coattails. No. None of these things will save you any more than Israel was saved by association with Moses. No, that's not why they were saved. Not by ancestry, not by good deeds, not by association. The bottom line is, watch this, Israel was not delivered from judgment by one solitary thing associated with themselves. They couldn't claim one scintilla of the reason for which they were delivered. Uh Uh-uh. That brings me to why Jesus had to die on the cross. Because watch this, everybody. This is the message. This is the road to the resurrection Sunday. This is why Jesus had to go. Because Israel that night trusted solely and only in the blood that was on the doorpost. Only on the, listen, if you didn't have blood on the doorpost, you were judged. But if you had blood on the doorpost, you were delivered. There was peace in your house, peace in your home, relief. The judgment of God did not touch you. Uh, The good news is that God has revealed to you and to me the one and only way to avoid judgment and experience eternal life. How is it? When I see the blood. Let me just modify it a little bit for us today. When I see the blood of Jesus on your life, I will pass over. When I see the blood of Jesus on your life. When you and I face God, he's not going to say, wow, you know, you did so many good things and, and you were so close to some of those church people. Even you knew some of the church staff really well. And Boy, you had some great ancestors, and and you looked good, and you made good money, and you raised a good family, so go on in. No, God's going to be on a search. He's going to be looking. Uh, There's going to be a light that shines, and it's going to reveal whether or not the blood of his son is on your heart, covering your sin. And when he sees the son, when he sees the son, he says, enter into the joy of your Lord. Enter in. Amen? Amen. When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. There's an old hymn that goes like this. Christ our Redeemer, 
died on the cross, died for the sinner, paid all his due. All who receive him need never fear. Yes, he will pass. He will pass over you. Amen. You know how I have peace in my heart? I have the peace of God because I made peace with God. And I made peace with God, not by my own good works and good deeds or anybody that I knew, but I made peace with God. Now, I know I'm talking to the choir here today, but we've got to hear this over and over again because you can't add to this. You can't subtract to this. You can't make this better. You can't add anything better to this. It's the best that there is. It's the only thing that there is. It's the only way out. I'm looking back here, and I see four exit uh, signs over four doors. But can I tell you, when it comes to the kingdom of God, there's only one exit sign and only one exit door. And Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So God's going to say, what would you do with my son? Oh, I repented, and I accepted him, and I love your son. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. You've been faithful over little. I'm going to make you a ruler over much. How important is his shed blood? How important is the blood that spilled and ran down Calvary's cross? When we look at that cross and we see a brutalized, abused, bleeding Savior, racked with pain, we don't even know him. His mother couldn't even recognize him, though she was near the cross. There's no beauty that we would desire him. He is so marred and abused, we turn our face away. And yet that blood that ran down that tree, even Judas the betrayer called it innocent blood. In Hebrews 13, 20, it's called the blood of the new covenant. In 1 Peter 1, 9, Peter called it the precious blood of Christ. John called it the cleansing blood. In the book of Revelation, it's called the washing blood, removing the guilty stain of our sins. Paul called it the purchasing blood in Acts 20, 28, and the redeeming blood in Ephesians 1, 7. There was only one thing that could purchase you and I off the slave block of sin, and that was the currency of the blood of the Lamb. And we were purchased by that blood. I want everybody to say with me, I am not my own. I am bought with a price. Well, what was the price? The shed blood of the Lamb of God, the innocent blood. He is the Lamb of God, the once-for-all sacrifice. It's the peacemaking blood in Colossians 1.20. It's the blood offered once for all in Hebrews 10.12. It's the sanctifying blood in Hebrews 13.12. Praise God, it's the blood that conquers Satan in Revelations 12.11. They overcame him, the devil, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And it's the blood that purchased my freedom and your freedom. People are always saying, well, I don't want to be a Christian. There's so many things I can't do. Ah, friend, you are so deceived. Because when you're a believer filled with the Holy Ghost, there's so many things you can do that the lost cannot do. Yes. The lost can't come into the presence of God. We can. The lost can't experience the peace of God. We can. The lost can't be delivered from hell. We can. The lost can't say no to sin. We can. 
There are so many things that you can do as a child of God you can't do when you're lost. The great hymn we often sing says it all. I love it. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing can remove the guilt. Nothing can remove the judgment. Nothing can get you through heaven's gates. Nothing but the blood. The blood is the key that unlocks the door to heaven. Amen. As we journey down the road to the resurrection, the first signpost is Jesus on the cross. He had to go there. All the Old Testament pointed to him coming. Look forward to his arrival. Prophesied his death on that tree. And all the New Testament looks back on that moment. Jesus on the cross is the central point, the dividing point in all of history. That's where your sins and mine were covered. If we come to him, can we stand together today? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. How many of you are thankful for the washing away of your sin? Amen. How many of you are thankful for it? I remember sitting in juvenile home. Oh, folks, I was in so much trouble. Sitting in juvenile home at 16 years old. Felony on me. A bond high, so high my dad couldn't get me out. I was in there for sale of narcotics. I'd gone into deep darkness. My whole life was drugs, girls, drugs, girls, sin, rebellion. And I'm sitting in there, and the judge has told me my future is over. I'm going to prison. I was so burdened down. I looked out the window of the cell. I, I, it was not fair but I could see trees. I looked out the window. I said this to myself. Why do you keep doing these things? What's wrong with you? Why can't you just walk right? I didn't understand sin. Didn't understand bondage. Didn't know anything about the devil. Knew nothing about spiritual things. I didn't know that in two days or so, I'd hear the gospel. God was looking down at skinny, wasted, drug-ridden kid, confused, afraid. And he said, I got you. You're about to hear about my son. And when I came to Jesus, something happened inside of me that is almost impossible to describe. Peace like a river, joy like a fountain, love like the ocean.
And from that moment, brought me to here. One decision. One decision. Amen? One decision. Isn't it amazing what one decision can do? I'm going to ask you, are you ready to meet God? Now, I know most of you in here know Jesus. But are you ready to meet God? All of you here, have you thought, am I ready to meet God? Am I ready to meet my maker? Am I ready for him to assess my life? Is the blood on the doorpost? Am I sure? His judgment is marching towards us, racing. I hear the approaching hoofbeats. I can almost hear the galloping of the horsemen of the apocalypse coming. And I want to say to the whole world, are you ready to meet God? So I want to pray. And I want to just see, let's, let's bow in prayer. I want to invite you to be sure that you know Jesus. And then I also want to invite you to recommit your life. Are you walking with him like you know you should? I, it's, it's so easy in this wicked culture to drift. And I'm not condemning anybody. I'm just calling out to you and saying, I invite you to get everything in your life right. And so with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you can say, Jeff, I need Jesus today. I want to be sure that I know him. Can you raise your hand? I'm just asking you to raise your hand. God bless you. God bless you. Real high. Don't be ashamed of the Lord. Yes, several, several. How many of you can say, Jeff, I know him, but I know I'm not where I used to be with him, and I, and I really want to get back in, in that discipleship lane. And if that's you, can you raise your hand and say, I need to pray today. Amen. I'm going to ask if you raise your hand for either one. I want you to come down right now. Come stand in front of me right now. Come on. Come quickly. Don't be ashamed of the Lord. I did it in front of a bunch of juvenile delinquents who were snickering as I went forward. But I did it, and it totally changed my life. Come on. You need Jesus today. Come on. Come on. If you need to get right with him, recommit to him. Amen. Amen. Beautiful sight. It's good to see all of you. And I thank God for touching you. And I want to lead you in a prayer. And I want all of us to pray together. How many of you witnessed to what I said today? No, this is the message our nation needs to hear right now, right? Amen? Nothing but the blood. So let's pray. Father, thank you. Pray this with me. Say, Lord, I believe you died for me and rose from the dead so that I could be saved. Come into my heart, for I repent of all of my sins the sin against God that I've committed. Forgive me. I receive you into my heart, Lord Jesus. In your mighty name, guide me from this day forward. Amen. Now I want those of you that came, can you lead them right to those chairs there, Robert? I want you all just to go sit there just for a second. Because Robert's going to have a couple of things for you to fill out. Now, and then you'll be free to go. Um, in one week, we're going to, be, we're going to hit 10,000 homes. 
Everybody say 10,000. I didn't say 1,000. That'd be a lot. I didn't say 10. That would be take a couple of hours. We're hitting 10,000 homes in this area with the gospel right before Easter. And so it's going to be a great, great time. How many of you are glad you came to the house of God today? Amen? Amen. Now, folks, I, I know that I say often, well, not real often, but time to time, they used to preach this way. I'm not slamming anybody. I'm really not. I would never name a name. But I, I, I want you to know, if you had been in America 100 years ago, you would always have heard about the blood, the cross, the need to be saved, um, hell, the reality of it, not just heaven. You would have heard messages on self-denial, personal sacrifice, being ready to be persecuted. And we have so drifted into a feel-good type message that I'm afraid there's a whole generation of Christians totally unprepared for persecution, for suffering, for having to take a stand and pay a price for it. Because we've been spoon-fed a watered-down gospel. So my prayer, and believe me, I preach what I preach only because God has shown me through his word that this was the message of the apostles, the, the disciples, the early church. Man, they were red hot. They turned Rome upside down. But not by God wants you rich and wants you to have a big house. Not that. You better repent. If you repent, you'll be saved. And they came in droves. So that's all. Um, that, that's all I'm saying. Y'all understand where I'm going here? Okay.